and welcome back to The Catch. I am your host, Michael Adams. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest. Honored to have him here. He is the Vice President of Business Development at Covenant Eyes, Sam Black. Sam, how's it going? Doing great, man. Good to see you. Good to be here with you, Michael. Yeah, we're, we're honored to have you, as I said. Um, I guess real quick before we really dive into this topic, I wanted to kind of give you a chance to maybe tell a little bit about yourself. I know we were kind of discussing your background, your history, right before we got started, but for those who aren't uh, you know, familiar with you, Sam Black, but also familiar with the entire organization of Covenant Eyes, should maybe do like a quick high level, here's the bullet points, here's what you need to know. Yeah, so the whole idea behind Covenant Eyes is to, uh, is to be in community, to uh, have a friend, to have an ally that is gonna walk with you. And Covenant Eyes as a tool, is software is artificial intelligence software that it goes on your phones tablets and computers and it monitors your actual screen so it doesn't matter where it comes from and then it creates a report and you decide who is going to receive that report for you now everything is blurred before it leaves your device etc so you're not (laughs) no no text is going to be sent or anything like that but it really allows you to have conversations to heal to change grow yeah i mean you know we were just talking about this before but it's been extremely impactful to me and just see the effect that covenant eyes has had on a lot of men specifically in my life um but one of the things that you really mentioned that really impacted me the most was the idea that the purpose of this is of course you have the ai software and that's great it makes these reports but the main part is the community um and i would almost go as far to say that the technology is great but it wouldn't be nearly as impactful or meaningful if you took the community aspect out of it. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I have three guys that received my report. And, uh, you know, they're just guys that can, that can speak into my life. But every time I get on my device, I recognize that I'm not alone. Even It doesn't matter where I'm at in the country or around the world. Um, my friends, my confidants, uh, know where I've, what I've been doing on my devices. And they know if I, you know, and they know if, especially if I, if I've strayed. And so we get to have honest, open conversations, not, and you know, one of the beautiful things, you know, what if I, what if I fell? What if something happened on my report? That is a perfect time. Uh, Failure is a perfect time. A slip up is a perfect time to examine that, look at it and be honest with someone about that. Exactly. And kind of just going off of that, the idea of, you know, the struggle with pornography, you know, and that's one of the big things that Covenant Eyes really tackles is uh, the addiction to pornography. And one of the side effects that I think everyone knows is the tendency to isolate yourself, to go alone. Um, And I think I was even reading in your book recently about the tendency of how much more likely we are to actually engage with these harmful forms of media if we know that it's going to be anonymous, if we know that there's no way anyone could ever find out, anyone could ever see, this will be my own kind of hidden dirty secret. But when you invite these men or these women into your life that can hold you accountable, have honest conversations, it's kind of that whole idea of accountability. It's like, well, I would usually mess up, but I don't want to mess up because I want to be strong for them. I don't want them to see that in my report maybe. And maybe even if, maybe that's not the best source, but that's motivation still to stay away of, well, I really don't want Jim or Jerry, whoever it may be, to see that I fell fell on Wednesday night. Right there, there, there is a, a there is it certainly makes you think twice. Uh, one of my guys that I was I received his report, he says, you know, it always makes me think twice about do I really want to click there? Am I going to edge? So often we play around the edges of, of the precipice and hope we don't fall off when we don't need to be on the edge of the prep, precipice in the first place. Mm-hmm. Stop playing on the side of the cliff. And so when we pull back, we create new boundaries for ourselves. Then it changes, one, the triggers that happen in our, for us that then make us go through rituals that lead us to pornography. Um, and so it's very important for us to create our own limits. You know, it, it's, um, the Bible says no temptation has come to you or what is common to man, uh, but I've provided a way for uh, of your escape. The problem is we think about escape after the fact instead of putting those things in place prior to. And so putting covenant eyes on your devices, maybe putting some limits on your devices. I still don't use, in, in general, Instagram. 
or Twitter or things like that on my iPhone. Um, I just, that's just a limit that I created for myself. I uh, know I was exposed to pornography at 10 years old. Um, I also grew up in a violent home, a home where uh, there was a lot of fear. And uh, so I didn't realize that at a young age that I was viewing pornography for escape. And that created rituals, it created a habit, it actually created neural pathways in my brain that began to crave pornography. So my, uh, one of my best friends, his, his dad had a library of porn falling out of his closet. I could take whatever I want and I did. And through repetition, and that's the important part of this, is that repetition creates those neural pathways in the brain that crave it all the more. And so I carried this through high school and college and into my marriage. But I was very, very fortunate to, uh, my wife was attending a church and I humored her by saying this, I'll, I'll go with you. And, uh, and uh, but that pastor was an awesome teacher. And it seemed like he ignored everybody else and just talked to me. But, that, <laughs> <laughs> right? and, but under that teaching, I learned that pornography created compulsive and addictive behaviors. And that's scary for a lot of people. But for me, it was like, oh, because people beat addictions. People overcome compulsive behavior. And that gave me hope because that meant I wasn't meant to roam the savannah under a evolutionary idea. And now I just, I was meant to spread my gene pool as far and wide as I could. And that's why mm -hmm. it's hard for me not to look at other women. Uh, or it wasn't that I was just a fallen, broken Christian uh, or human being. We all are that. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't that God made me this way. God did not intend for me to lust after women continuously, to use pornography continuously. And yeah. so that is powerful knowledge that can say God has a higher purpose in my life. I would agree. I think that entire idea of just how empowering it can be to actually get to the source. Um, I think usually it's kind of just big and scary. We don't want to actually dive in. You know, why do I have these issues? Why do I have this addiction? Why am I truly struggling? And, you know, we just start fighting from every angle. We just start fighting anything that's in front of us. And it usually leads to more compuls compulsive decisions, okay. compulsive mistakes, and really diving into actually figuring out, okay, this is the source of that issue. Now I actually know what to fight. I'm not just fighting this invisible enemy. I know the source. I know how to actually conquer this. And one of the things I do want to also emphasize is this idea that you talked about, you know, you walk to the cliff edge. It's like, well, why are you even going to the cliff edge? You know, you're much more likely to fall off the cliff when you're right against the edge. And I had talked to a, a priest friend of mine and talking about different struggles. And he was like, you know, I think you just like to torture yourself. It's like, I, I don't like to torture myself. Like, why would I torture myself? He's like, no, you put yourself in these situations trying to prove how strong you are or show yourself that you're heroic, but you're right across the, you know, you're at the cliff edge and all it takes is one little trip and all of a sudden you're down at the bottom of the cliff. It's like, why not put a little barrier? Think of like the Grand Canyon, put a barrier 10 feet from the cliff edge. Now there's no chance that you even get there and there's no chance of falling. Yeah. And um, there's, we, we play these games with ourselves and dancing along the cliff edge is just the game we play that ends up causing us to fall. And so it's important that we recognize that there is probably a, that, that deeper desire to act out on something that you learned to do over time, that you've created neural pathways in your brain to do over time, or to escape. Um, and a lot of this is rooted in trauma from childhood. It's rooted from uh, early exposure and that repetition again. And so we've, we've gotten used to going to pornography to cure boredom, anger, frustration, being hungry, angry, lonely, tired, frustrated, all the things that we experience right now in COVID, right? Uh, all the, all the, uh, things that would have thrown me over the edge, I've got to experience again in COVID, but I get to live in freedom from porn. And that's a beautiful thing. 
it's a beautiful thing to be able to live in freedom and not be wrapped up in uh, a compulsive behavior because we'd like to convince ourselves that, uh, well, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm struggling right now, but I, I've got this and I can do this on my own. I don't need anybody else. And that's not just not true. And then we go, well, you know, if I get a little more involved in my church, if I start doing this uh, prayer thing, if I start doing my daily disciplines, I'll get over this. It's not going to work. Uh, maybe when I get married, uh, that'll change. I've never seen that work. In fact, it ends up causing pain and frustration in your marriage. And then, well, maybe when I get a little older, it doesn't work. I'm, I remember talking to um, a grandfather who came to a, a men's conference. I was in Florida and he was just, he came to my table and he was just like ash and gray. And he said, you know, I, I'm glad to, to meet you. I, I, it might probably be too late though, because um, I don't know if my wife will be there when I get home because I have embarrassed her enough with my pornography use. I've traumatized her enough with my pornography use. And now uh, my, my extended, my family knows, my grandchildren know, and I, I think it's just, I'm too, I, pornography has been in my life too long, I'll never escape. There was a man who was telling himself lies from childhood to then that says, if I just do this alone, if no one knows, then I'll be okay and I can beat this sooner or later. Well, what happened is he did get accountability. He did get allies in his life. Uh, he was using covenant guys and, and other tools to help him find redemption and recovery. So let's fast forward nine months. I'm at a different Florida men's conference and this dude comes just running to my table. I mean, he's just this guy, he's so excited. And his ashen face is just now radiant. I mean, just really radiant. And he says, you know, I just had to come and let you know that that, that one conversation pointing me to some tools that I could use, some direction I could have, getting into community with others has changed the whole dynamic. I get, I'm living free now. And I brought nine guys with me to this conference. <laughs> so let's, if you're thinking right now, I can do this alone. I don't want to tell anybody else because I'm so fearful of the shame um, that, that I just know that I can do this on my own. It's not going to work. I, I haven't seen it. I think every person in their life, or at least most men can either personally experience that feeling or have dear friends that have had that feeling. And then eventually when that accountability comes, it's the sigh of relief of, oh my goodness, I can actually talk about this. Oh my goodness, I can actually lean on these people because this fight was way too scary, way too big for me to do it alone. And it kind of reminds me of that whole exposure that you were talking about earlier, you know, most men, and I, I took this stat directly out of your book, so I'm going to quote you for it, but it was 90% of boys are exposed to pornography by the age of 18, and 60% of girls are exposed to pornography by the age of 18. And we think of why these ideas of, I need to fight this alone, this isolation, this shame build, and why they can be so overwhelming for somebody who is of older age. It's because these thoughts and these feelings have been accumulating since the age of 10, the age of 12, the age of 18, whatever it may be. But if you have those feelings and they start compounding year after year after year, going back to that repetition, these thoughts don't become thoughts. They become facts in your mind. And, and Michael, we've, uh, I've, I've, I'm not, not going to beat you up here, <laughs> but I want you, I want you to know that women too. Mm -hmm especially among millennials and generation Z, they have grown up with these devices yep. and they've been exposed younger and younger. Now, let me put this in perspective that um, so often we just think that here's the, our parents are, were clueless, right? We, yeah. <laughs> so often our, they just had no expectation that anything like this could possibly come into their innocent child's life. And they typically have four things that they believe that 
my kid is a good kid, they'd never be curious. And I was curious, you were curious, the person listening to this right now, they were curious too. It wasn't that you were bad, but you were curious. And in today's environment, kids go from, I don't know anything to hardcore porn. So first exposures are often not just nudity, like they might've been for my generation. First exposures today might be graphic, video, and violent. And so that can be a traumatic experience. And so that can really even more so up the dopamine because now there's a shock factor. Uh, there's a fight or flight fear that kind of can come with that. Natural curiosity, because all kids are curious. And uh, we can't limit this to just uh, boys or girls. And so um, what I, here's, let me give you an example of, uh, of this. Uh, I spoke at uh, a number of homeschool conferences last year. Now these are most, uh, for the, a lot of these, I want to create protective environments, whether it's more religious environment or just an environment where there's a, a more holistic protectiveness yeah. for them. Um, and what we found was kids were being exposed at six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old in there. So average age was around that wasn't much different from greater society. So between most studies today are showing about eight years old was age of first exposure. That's crazy. An eight-year-old can't even isn't even sexually functioning. So it is uh, it's coming to them even prior to them really understanding. Now there can be self-soothing through but otherwise, you know, it's not, it's not quite the same as when it gets older. But I had a 15-year-old girl come up to one of our tables and she brought her parents and she said, listen, I brought my mom and dad here to sign up for Covenant Eyes because when I was eight, I heard some boys say some words that I didn't understand. And she said that started when I asked my dad for his phone. And that's when I began looking it up and exposed at eight years old, I continually went back to that as much as I could. She described it as her two-year addiction at eight years old. Wow. And her parents never knew anything about what was happening until they caught her almost at 11 years old. And two things come to my mind there. One, it makes sense to me that the age is decreasing. It makes sense that, you know, maybe it was 10 or maybe it was 12, but it makes sense that it's trending downwards towards eight, six, five. And it also makes sense to me that it's much easier to hide. Again, like you said, we have these phones it's easier to access. It's at the tip of our fingers. You know, maybe back in the day, there might've been more of a, you know, a rush, a, a fear. You know, you have these magazines or you have these pictures, and you have to hide them. And if somebody finds them, there's always that chance. But now it's as simple as a few taps on your phone and you're there. And then you yep. can go erase your history. There's no trace of your mark and no one will ever know. And so it makes sense, one, that we'd be able to hide this in a much easier way, but also with tech being available to much younger ages, that that curiosity, it has to go somewhere. You know, everyone's yeah. curious. And maybe when we were younger, we didn't have access. It's like that curiosity could maybe turn into a conversation um, or it might just be one of those things, you know, I just don't understand that. And I'll become curious four years from now when I actually can have the resources to go find out what that means. But now it's, you know, it's no further than me going and taking my phone and saying, oh, what does that mean? Click, 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 having my answer. And now it just unleashes the beast. And so I would almost, I'm sure you've seen this trend that those, percentages of exposure rates are probably going to increase dramatically over the next five years, especially as technology is continuing to trend down that more consumenary uh, mindset. Yeah. And Michael, even if you, uh, like you said, it's likely kept a secret for a long while. And then even if it wasn't, parents often didn't know how to talk to you or others about it. Uh, so it was probably like, okay, well, don't do that again, because if I don't make a big deal out of it, uh, you'll just forget about it. But we don't forget about it, right? And, uh, or there's the shaming. And if you've been shamed uh, over your use of pornography, then that was probably very damaging. And when we shame each other, uh, we actually create greater hiding. We don't create greater transparency. And so uh, I can't encourage um, you enough for the, our listeners to get into safe community, 
and find safe process. And one of the places I love, and I, I actually do newcomer meetings every, every uh, Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, I'm on a, you can catch me on a, through a website called samsonsociety.com. And it's a community of men, uh, for this specifically, um, that um, it's a community for men who are struggling with pornography. And so uh, through that, I get to introduce them to how a meeting runs, uh, but then I get to serve with other guys and coach them to be a mentor to them. And there's, and that's just not me, that's everybody in the whole group. So thousands mm -hmm. of guys saying, yeah, I'll be your mentor, I'll, I'll be your ally, I'll be your, what we call actually a Silas. And mentor probably isn't the right word, it's just a, tra a fellow traveling companion. Silas was a traveling companion of the yeah. Apostle Paul. And so you get to get real with somebody and getting real changes the dynamic because now you can dig into what were the sources what are the rituals that I go through? How can I create meaningful change in my life? And not, you know, we've, in the Christian sphere, I like to look good. Uh, there's a great book by Dr. James Reeves called Refuge. And uh, in that, he says, uh, the church today has become a institution of respectability rather than a hospital where the great physician can do his work. Well, we need to, we don't just need to look good. We need to heal. Mm -hmm. And that healing comes through really examining our underlying wounds and addressing those, learn, growing our capacity for change, growing our capacity for self-discipline, growing our capacity for empathy, growing our, for ourselves and others, growing in our capacity uh, to understand where we've been how we can change. I can't help but think about that idea of shame and the, the power that comes from having these one-on-one -on -one real conversations that are really, you know, conversations that we never expected to have, that we never thought were acceptable to have. And I can't help but think about something you mentioned earlier about those neurological pathways, because mm -hmm. most of the time, you know, we're either shamed or we're told that they're, you know, why are you struggling with this? You shouldn't be struggling with this. You are bad. You are wrong. And oftentimes you go, yeah, I am bad. I am wrong. When we actually dig down to the deeper problem, it's no, there's something deeper here. You can't maybe control this. There's more that goes into this. And you talk about, you know, carving these neurological pathways. Although we have these feelings, we have these addictions, we have to call them what they are. And they're addictions. They're not just tendencies, they're addictions. And because that, you can't just fight that with shame and you can't fight it with isolation. You have to fight it with actually, like you said, going to the source, having these hard, having these hard, conversations that you know oftentimes can be embarrassing can be you know almost shameful in our own minds but to the others opens the pathway and opens the doorway to healing absolutely you know and we've been talking about a number of resources and i it can um i put them in the chat yeah, put them in the chat and I will put them in the podcast um, bio. So if anyone's looking for any of these resources that Sam is referencing, they will be in the podcast description. So make sure to check those out. Yeah, so you were talking about a, a, an ebook I wrote uh, called The Point Circuit. It's really examines the neurology behind pornography and why people get stuck. And so it really is enlightening you. But there's a, a number of other educational resources there that are free and a new one called New Fruit and it's for women and their first steps in recovery. So those are just some amazing books that you can find at covenanteyes.com forward slash ebooks. I'm also going to post a link to samsonsociety.com where you can join a newcomer meeting as a man. But I'm also going to post a link to Living on Purpose uh, chapter uh, a new program from Living on Purpose called She Recovery. And that is uh, a recovery community for women, for women only. And uh, it's, we need safe places and safe processes to heal both uh, emotionally, to overcome the wounds, but then that helps us in that, in that safe process and safe community to now uh, change her behaviors so that the next time I 
uh, creating new habits in your life. We have a great book called Hobbies and Habits. Uh, you know, a lot of guys that I know uh, who have struggled with pornography and um, who I've mentored, I'll ask them, what do you do for fun? And they're like, oh, I, I, um, oh, I go shooting or I go hunting. This is where you do that, do that two or three times a week at least. Well, no. Well, you're not building habit forming things. You are. Um, and so exercise, running. Um, I just signed up for my next uh, Star Wars half marathon. Down in Florida. I hope I get to run it in April. <laughs> That's incredible. We hope you do too. Uh, and um, those kinds of enjoyable dopamine producing habits like exercise, things that are fun, enjoyable. Now that creates new neural pathways in the brain for enjoyment rather than going to the old pornography habits that lead down an old path that has been there for a long time. But the more you ignore the old path and pay attention to the new paths, then those old paths begin to grow over. It becomes easier. You can get over that hump. I've just been mentoring two guys uh, right now that I'm walking with. They both reached their first 100 days of not watching pornography. Now, they haven't done that before. Uh, gone a hundred days. Now, that might sound crazy to some of your listeners, but a lot of your folks probably listening to this going, you know, I get to about 14 days or 30 days and says, well, I've been good this long. I, I deserve a little reward. And that is really a lie. It, it pulls you back into that same routine. And so it, it pulls you back into those same neural pathways that you created for that. And so we don't want our, our, literally our sinful habits have become part of our neural, our neural network. And so the more we give into them, when we say, oh, you know, I've, had, I've been good for a while, I can go back. That's just a lie that you tell yourself to act out on your compulsive addictive self. I think one of the things that I read, actually, you mentioned that 14 days and you also mentioned the 100 days. And I know we're going to go back into this because I'm very interested in the whole neurological pathways idea, but we're talking right now about rewiring our brain to some degree and yeah. making, making these new neurological pathways. And some of the numbers that I read was Paul called it in the New Testament. He called it a renewing of the mind. Same thing. Yep, exactly. And some of the figures that were really important to me I, that I read was, and you mentioned here with like the 14 days, but it was 14 days is a key marker, 30 days is a key marker. And then really the biggest marker is that abstinence free 90 days. Could you maybe ex explain those three stages and what the importance of each stage is? Yeah, so 14 days is you actually get to reset your, your neurochemistry. It, it can return to a, what should be a more normal state. So abstaining from pornography and sexually acting out, uh, abstaining from sex for 14 days resets the neurochemistry so you're not having the dopamine cravings. Uh, things like testosterone, which is released in men, especially when sexual cues are picked up and create a heightened sense of sexual awareness. Well, now that comes back and returns to normal levels of testosterone for men. Um, so that's just a neurochemistry reset, 14 days. Then you get to 30 days. That's where you begin to get a little bit of confidence that maybe I can actually do this. Maybe that's, maybe that's a real possibility. But 90 days is where we really begin to learning about what is true intimacy, especially if you're married or if you're with someone and, and it's very, um, often we've equated intimacy as sex. When there are intimate, sex is just one form of many types of intimacy. And the value that that can bring to your life, to your marriage, is over the top. It can't be even underestimated in any way that you can uh, have greater intimacy with your spouse because and others because you're you're not focused on the sexuality part of it. Uh, you can explore deeper emotions and feelings and care and um, intimacy. <laughs> right. Exactly. 
but we've narrowed, we've hemmed in our definition of what intimacy is. Yeah, and something that in, interesting that comes to my mind is conversations I've had with men, we've discussed this, a similar timeline. We haven't had it formalized. We had a kind of general in our friend group was, you know, we could usually make it to four weeks, um, which be your 30 day figure. And that's kind of where you get your confidence. Um, and once you get that confidence, all of a sudden you let your guard down. And mm -hmm. it would always be like, you know, I could make it 30 days. 30 days is no big deal. But it'd be day 31 and you let your guard down. And then that's where you find that trigger. That's when you find that old pathway that carves back in. And it feels like you're, again, back to square one. I, I was yeah. interested to see if you had anything to say, if that's something that you've seen in the past of the most dangerous stage in that 90-day phase. Is that the 30-day to 90-day when you have that confidence where you start to almost trust yourself too much? I think there is, uh, there's something, there's simply plenty to be said about that. But I think we just get to that, oh, you know, I deserve the break. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, I, I think that 90 days can be like getting over the hump, but guess what? Next, you're looking for six months. And after that, you're looking for a year. And it can, it can seem overwhelming at times. Um, but the truth is, uh, we can, this can be, this is not just can be done. It's, it's beneficial and, and helpful, especially uh, in, in your relationship with others. I think doing that whole milestone mindset can be extremely helpful. We see this in other forms of addiction. Um, like, you know, you get your year chip, you get your five year chip, all of these different things. It's very similar though with the addiction to pornography. It's you, know, you hit that 14 days and you're like, okay, mentally, you know, neurologically I had a reset. Then you get 30 days and say, like, okay, I can start to be a little bit more confident. I can start to, you know, know my tendencies. I know my triggers. I know what to avoid. I know what I can and can't do. Then you hit 90 days, you know, you break down that goal of being, you know, I want to be porn free for 10 years. That can be very intimidating, but if you break that down into I want to be porn free for. Well, and yeah. the reason I suggest that people count it, and organizations like Faithful and True and others suggest counting the days, is because you, it's easy to lie to yourself and say, "Yeah, I've been really, I've been doing really well for a long while," and maybe it's been five days. <laughs> yeah, just it's been a really good five days though. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I, that's my real purpose, and and uh, so let's say you blow it at day 32, does that mean you have to go back to 90 days? I don't think so. I think um, that, you, one, if it's a long binge, then maybe you start 90 days, but if it's a slip, then maybe you're just continuing, hey, what, but the most important thing you can do is learn from the slip, learn from the failure, learn from the fall. Uh, it's very tempting to just be sh ashamed about it, hide it, shove it under the carpet, try to forget about it, I'll do better next time, What's more important is to what was happening. How did I talk to it, uh, talk about it to someone else? Did we really examine that? Did we really dig into that? So for instance, I could come to you, Michael, and say, yeah, Michael, today I, I was weak. I looked at porn. Now I've confessed to you, right? But I haven't done anything for healing. I haven't done anything for growth. And you can say, oh, Sam, that's okay. You know, we all fall. And you haven't helped me do any healing. But you could say, Sam, uh, what was going on? What was happening? Well, you know, Michael, I, uh, I was at work today. And I, my, my boss was mad at me and yelled at me. And man, it just, it really woke my, my self-worth. And, you know, it reminded me of how my dad would yell at me. And, and then I just went down the spiral of self-condemnation and I'm, I'm ticked at myself for not performing better and, not, and I don't feel like much. And I got home and I went through this ritual and this is how I got to porn. And now I've done something more than just confess. Mm -hmm. Then you get to say, Sam, what's, when your boss yells at you the next time, or when you have a confrontation with someone else, what's another way that you could self-soothe? What's another way that you could deal with those emotions? Um, you know, I, I often, we have this uh, saying in running world, if, um, if after five miles you haven't, um, 
figured out an answer from five more. So <laughs> it's because uh, a lot of that can just be, you know, you're, you're balancing your neurochemistry with that exercise, et cetera, but you're also thinking and you're also contemplating what was deeper going on there. And we can do that together. Uh, we also need to use those opportunities that we feel that tension. We feel that tug of pornography. And you can say, Sam, you, you, you've been free for years. You're doing well. You're looking at you going through this COVID. You probably don't ever have any of these emotions, right? And that's not true. So, you know, I was going through a, an intense um, study that was helping others in pornography. I was hearing their stories. And some things could be a little triggering. It's a little bit traumatic, uh, overwhelming. Yeah, of course. And, and so I called up my, uh, one of my accountability partners and I said, Danny, um, I'm, I don't know what it is, but there's this tension. I'm feeling this draw. I, I haven't acted out. I haven't gone anywhere. But I, well, I can feel the tension there. He goes, you know what? That sounds like distant gravity. I said, distant gravity? What's that? <laughs> And he goes, I don't know. The Holy Spirit just told me about it. <laughs> so he goes, you know, it's like you are in a sphere of influence. And there's that distant gravity that's wanting to pull you in closer. Now, are you going to continue to orbit that? Or are you going to pull away from that gravity? So it's no longer drawing you closer and closer. Because once it gets here, we're going there. Right, so that's the whole idea behind out here. I'm pretty, you know, I'm much safer if I'm not even feeling the gravity at all. But I start to feel gra that gravity, and I go run. Where Paul tells us to flee temptation, right? Yep. What we do is we flirt with temptation, and our gravity center gets closer and closer. And then we're dancing around here in social media, watching videos we shouldn't watch or just streaming through YouTube mindlessly and seeing provocative things and going, and next we're on a porn site. We need to be thinking about what that distant gravity is doing to us way far away before it gets up close. Yeah, this entire idea of just self-knowledge and the difference that it makes in this situation is just kind of honestly making me a little speechless. Uh, it's stuff that I've known, but just hearing it said very simply put and seeing it put like this, you know, it makes you rethink, honestly. It makes you think about how, one, your brain works, but even these smaller things, you know, in our minds, it's like, oh, this isn't necessarily porn. So it's not, it's okay because it's not necessarily porn. So if it's not porn, then I'm okay. But you talk about the slow gravity, which is really a great concept that I've also talked about in a very different different way. I used to talk about it as like a door opening. Um, you know, there's a crack in a door and then you start playing with the doorknob and you, you, know, you slowly start to open it. You, may, you can't fit, but you know, you're slowly opening it and suddenly the door is wide open and the floodgates are open and you can't stop anything. Uh, yeah. That entire idea though of the mistake is not the final mistake. Uh, the mistake usually comes a lot earlier. Uh, and having the courage and having the strength to actually walk away from those smaller temptations and the effect that that walk away has on the greater scheme of this entire idea of addiction and just, you know, intaking pornography. Yeah. And, and let's keep in mind for a lot of your listeners, they don't deal with distant gravity. They deal with very near gravity. Yep. Distant gravity comes from years of work. Yes. Years of of uh, both spiritual and uh, mental and physical <laughs> work, you know, that we, that we uh, exercise, I should say. We exercise both in spirit and in mind. Yes. And uh, so I think it's very important for us to acknowledge where we're at right now and that there might be some very much more strict things you need to do in your life to create some distance between you and pornography. The, the one, let's go back to the days of counting the first 90 days. It's really that first 90 days is providing you some distance between how often you use pornography. Because likely it's been much more. And so creating that 
that distance between you and pornography, now you, you're learning to cope and deal with emotions and frustrations and other things in different ways. And now you can do that self-examination more. I was going to get up and to one of my bookcases and, and get a book for you, but I just happened to have it on my desk. <laughs> <laughs> this one is called Unwanted by Jay Stringer. Great book, really helps dive into, you know, there's one thing about, you can stop using pornography, but that may not equate to healing. So you might be gripping really hard and finding some freedom from pornography, but that's not wholeness. And you wanna create wholeness. There's another book I recommend uh, called Healing the Wounds of Sexual Addiction by Dr. Mike Glaser. Uh, and there's many more, but, um, oh, for women, one thing I recommend is, several things I recommend. One is No Stones by Marnie Faree. I'm frantically writing down book, book names in my notes right now. This is, a, this is incredible. I'm going to have a whole shelf by the end of the day. Well, I'm going to just tell them off the top of my head here. Uh, <laughs> Beggar, Beggar's Daughter by Jessica Harris. And uh, on the Living on Purpose website, you can find resources there too. Uh, Crystal Werno Day has a book called Dating Done Right for Women, 90 Days to Wholeness for Women. She also wrote a book called Dirty Girls Come Clean. So again, that's at uh, livingonpurposekc.com. Uh, that's where you also find that she recovery. Uh, community as well. Yes, and that will be in the podcast description, as I said earlier. So if you guys are curious in some of these resources, uh, make sure to check out the description and I'll have links to all of those things so you guys can go take advantage of those. And I, I pray that you will. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm going to spend some time looking at them later today too. Just I'm just curious about what they, what they hold. And even just like the she recovery, being a man, I, I'm curious about this. You know, we do have this tendency to say, this is a man issue. This is an issue only among men. Uh, we start to ignore that our sisters are also struggling and they're going through this about great suffering. About 30%, a third of young women, um, typically between ages 30 and below, are struggling. And their shame is much greater than men because like you said, the church and others talk about, oh, this is a men's issue and they feel all the more alone, all the more shame. And it is, uh, it's debilitating. Uh, Marty Free calls it the Chinese water torture. Yeah, that's a, honestly a really good metaphor for that. I've never heard of that before. Uh, but kind of going into this again, you know, we've talked about this way of rewiring our brain, knowing our triggers, you know, creating that distance and talking about, you know, that I want to go back to that whole idea of close gravity. I think many of us don't understand why we have that close gravity. Uh, for me, I remember I was like, oh, it's the close gravity is just purely social media or it's purely this one thing. And I would ignore the deeper things going on and, you know, not to beat a dead horse, but I do want to kind of go into maybe like one or two of those neurological, actual like chemical releases that go on during porn and the effect that they have on the addiction. And, you know, before, after that, then we can go into kind of these conversations. We'll close it out. But, you know, I was reading and two of the ones that really stood out to me. The first one was testosterone for men, um, of course, and the effect that that has on just sexual appetite and, you know, sexual drive. And one of the most astounding things to me uh, was that it causes this constant production of it. I, I'd never heard that before, but that your body is producing an overwhelming amount of testosterone because of this uh, addiction. And suddenly you can't turn that off. And suddenly- so here's, the, here's some what I'm seeing of that or what um, Dr. Norman Deutsch and the brain that changes itself. Um, uh, Dr. William Struthers, um, wired for intimacy. They both describe how when sexual cues are picked up, testosterone is released. That's a natural thing. You see, pornography is not sex. Pornography is a hijacking of what God created. It's a super stimulus. Uh, there's been many studies that showed uh, uh, butter brightly, more brightly covered, colored butterflies. Well, that were made of cardboard. Well, the male butterflies would try to mate with them because they were more brightly colored, even though they were artificial. Or that birds would ignore their true babies in favor of fake babies with 
bigger, wider, redder mouths. Yeah. And so um, those are hyperstimuluses. And so that's what pornography is. It's hyperstimulus. It's all about arousal and not much about satisfaction. Um, It's very, you know, so when sexual cues are picked up and testosterone is released, it creates a heightened sense of sexual awareness. Very natural. The problem is the repetition keeps building and building and building on that constant sexual awareness. So you're walking around with a chemical imbalance in your brain that keeps you at a heightened state of sexual awareness. And it makes sense to me too with men. I've talked to men before with this idea of, you know, checking women out. Like, why can't I get my mind off of sex? Like, why do I think of sex? Why do I think of all of these, you know, impure thoughts whenever I see a woman or vice versa? You know, why does a woman think that when she sees a man? And it makes sense now because you're walking around with this chemical imbalance and there's a constant sexual tension looking for release. So it would make sense that every time you see these potential partners, whatever you want to call it. Acting out with pornography, creating the repetition. Yep. Continuing, you know, going, trying to find new and create, you know, again, we'll go back to dopamine. Dopamine likes um, novelty, things that are not seen before, things that are new, that are different. If you see the same thing over and over again, then, well, that starts to lose its interest. And that's where the internet provides an endless supply of novelty. Uh, you know, the way God has created sex and marriage was endless novelty with her. We don't, it's just not visual, it's, and not just with our ears. Both of those happen, but smell and touch and words spoken, how we interpret those words, the care, the, in, the deeper levels of intimacy and touch. Those are, are the novelty that God created marriage to last a lifetime. Uh, but this hyperstimulus is now become shocking, uh, violent. Maybe uh, one university study showed that 88% of scenes, this is even a few years back, uh, showed violence in the most popular porn films or more porn scenes, I should say, mm-hmm. because regular sex, just nudity isn't enough. We continually have to amp up because the brain says, I've seen this. It's okay, but can you give me something more? And that novelty is constantly provided through the internet. And so yeah. we're chasing the original high. Yeah. What you do when you want it, the, the drug dose you take now isn't enough, you do it more often or you take more of it or a higher dose. Yep. And that's what uh, pornography is. You're, you're chasing the original high you're, and and so you're going to things that you never thought you'd do, watching things you thought you were disgusting or would never have considered before. And it, our brain is changing and we're actually learning about what we're going to go to the next time we come. And this makes sense why there's so much issues in marriages where one partner is struggling with pornography because as you're saying, you know, you're looking for the next great thing. Your eyes are always on something else and you know, you can get, lost in the translation of, oh, this is the same woman or this is the same man and you lose interest. Um, And to me, you know, there's that whole idea of, you know, what arouses you? Suddenly the person who's right in front of you physically doesn't arouse you, but something on your phone, you can go find something new. You can find something exciting, find something dangerous. And all of a sudden you're aroused and you hold on to that. And it makes sense, you know, that whole rise of infidelity, the rise in divorce rates, all of these things, you know, not to make a bold statement, but you can't look at those, the rise in those figures and ignore the rise in pornographic culture also in this country. Now, listen, there's going to be some of you are listening today going, hey, you know, I, I'm fine with my spouse and, and our, our sex life and I can watch my porn too. And it's not really having an impact. I say not yet. Or you, you don't see where it is because you're becoming blinded to it. Um, We've seen a porn-induced erectile dysfunction, and you can see some blogs on our site, uh, as well as we have a challenge on our website that I can provide for you as well. That, uh, and Time Magazine had on the cover of its, of its um, in 2016, on the cover of Time Magazine, talked about 
uh, how a generation raised on porn are becoming advocates for turning it off, not for religious reasons, but because it's impacting them in their sexual lives. Uh, where uh, a group of, of Navy men were tested, able-bodied, you know, you, you got to get through basic training, you got to be yeah. working hard, you got to be getting up, doing your routines. Um, that I, I think it was a third, if I'm remembering that correctly, saying they were, they struggled with erectile dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dr. Norman Deutsch and, the, and the, the brain that changes itself and Dr. Norman's brothers, uh, Wired for Intimacy, is showing that the brain has become accustomed to watching the endless supply of variety. And being with a real person isn't the same. And so now I have to give back. There are other things required. Yeah. I'm not just a viewer. I'm a, there, there's something else that I have to do, right? And mm-hmm. so that is creating these, these changes neurologically and physically. It's now say that we do, you know, we've, we're recognizing this. And I think in this entire conversation, anyone who's listening can see that one, this is an issue. Two, if we haven't begun this rewiring stage, now is the time to rewire our minds, rewire the minds around us. And I think this is one of the things that we talked about again with the shame. It's hard to have these conversations. And you think in a marriage, oftentimes it doesn't seem like an issue, mainly because there's no conversation about it. I can imagine the pain that's going on on the other spouse if they catch you kind of like you talked about earlier with the older man whose wife found out and then his grandkids found out and his kids found out the shame that can be bred there just out of matter of fact we don't talk about it because i don't want to talk about it i don't want to address that pain i don't want to address the hurt that it's causing me but we know what comes of those conversations we know the healing that can happen but most of us are too scared to actually have that initial conversation so i guess what advice would you have to someone who's saying I either need to open up to someone in my life and talk about this for the first time or two, I need to address my spouse or I need to address my friend and say, Hey, I'm going to address this. I want to say that this is not okay. I want to help you heal. I'm not shaming you, but I want to facilitate your healing. You know, what advice would you have? Cause for me, that would be a very scary conversation I think to have. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a couple ways we can, we at Covenant Eyes, we can help. We have a, uh, an accountability guide. So it helps you understand how to be a good accountability partner. What should I be asking? What should I be saying? How can I influence and how can I support? How can I uh, help my friend in their journey? Now, one thing I will say is that you have to own this for yourself. I could, you could come to me and say, Sam, you need to stop watching porn. And I'm going to help you. And I'd be like, Michael, take the lead, man. I'm, I'm, <laughs> you're not going to get anywhere with me in that way. Right. Yeah. Uh, but you can offer yourself, but I have to own it. I, I have to say, Michael, I do need your help. Mm-hmm. I tried on my own. I failed. I can't seem to stop. And I don't know why. Yeah. And uh, then when I own it, then something different happens. Yeah. But it's, um, it's a very, you know, so let's just leave it there. Yeah. Uh, but then when I, when I own it, now it's my responsibility to call you when I'm feeling tempted. Okay. You don't own my recovery. I yeah. own my recovery. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's going to be very easy for some people listening to here saying, well, my accountability partner let me down. He wasn't calling me enough or whatever. It's your responsibility to call your accountability partner. I like that distinction because we hear the word accountability partner and we can kind of fall into that complacent mindset of, well, they're my accountability partner. So they have to hold me accountable. They're in charge of holding me accountable. When in reality, (laughs) they're there as a resource to you to help hold you accountable and to help you actually grow. But they're not the one actually standing there next to you and saying, hey. And that's why we call call this an an ally rather than accountability partner. An ally is someone who is walking alongside you, right? Yeah. There's someone you can lean on. There's someone that can help you. And uh, as Proverbs says, when, if one man falls in the ditch and he's alone, he's in trouble. Mm-hmm. But if two are together, one can pull the other out. Yeah. So this is important that we walk in community with each other and, and not try to do this alone. Yeah, I like so that. The ally guide that we have on our website, uh, we have uh, some 
a number of other resources at that covenantized.com forward slash ebooks, or you just click on resources right at the top of covenantized.com. And it, once you get past the ebooks, there's a bunch of email challenges. And one of those is the 40 day challenge. And in there, you get 40 days of, of video, reading, uh, you know, journaling, et cetera, to help you in your first 40 days toward freedom. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm really excited that you guys actually offer that. Um, I hope that people listening today will actually take advantage of that. And, you know, the last thing I really want to end on, we're talking about this idea of ownership and, you know, I have to own my recovery. But we've also talked about younger children who are struggling with pornography, whether they've been exposed or they're addicted at a very young age. And I know that we do have a couple parents who listen and we also have many people who have younger siblings even. Um, and I know that that can also be an opportunity for an older sibling to step in and have some of these conversations with the younger sibling when the parents aren't willing. You know, at what age should parents or should older siblings be having these conversations? Like when should they start to happen? And also like how can they actually enter into their child's life without coming across as shameful? You know, we talked about the damage that can be done of you know, telling somebody you're bad, you're wrong and shaming them and the isolation that that leads to how can a parent or how can an older sibling actually combat that and go about that the correct way? Yeah. So uh, one, when a child has been exposed, there can be a lot going on. Uh, and parents make a lot of mistakes about, well, if I just cover this over, if I just say, Hey, don't do that anymore. They'll just forget about it. Not doing it. And they do it anymore. And that's really fancy. We really need to talk about this and be open and kind and, be empathetic and listen to the child and help the child navigate this confusing time. So one of the things we created on that same ebooks page, that resources page, is a book called Confident. And it's helping parents navigate uh, online exposure for a child. So now you can have a conversation and it helps you pace. So a lot of parents or uh, someone else will be might want to come in and, and rush in and oh my goodness you look saw pornography and you get really frustrated and excited maybe if you walked in and found your child viewing pornography you say oh honey we don't want to do that this is important listen let's let me have that device and we keep it for now and we'll talk about this later okay Mm -hmm. I love you. Everything's fine. I'm not going to, I don't want you to feel, be upset, but uh, we'll just talk about this a little bit later. Yeah. Now, the first thing that does for you as a parent is give you some space. It allows you to think about what am I going to say and how am I going to say it? And then you can read a book like <laughs> Confident, which is a small ebook, easy read, and you can have a conversation with your child. Okay. I like that. I like the idea of kind of, we keep talking about distance, but getting distance from the situation, kind of handling your own emotions, handling your own feelings, you getting your balance, and then coming back. Uh, and because here the child is, they're probably very ashamed, especially if mom caught me and I'm a son, you know, yeah. and, uh, all the worst, you know, and don't, and if you're a dad, don't underplay this. Don't go like, oh, you know, all boys do this. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that macho look yeah. at it. But really, Again, from a spiritual point of view, and this book, Confident, can really help you navigate that well. Helps you do a little thinking and learning about what should I be asking? How can I be quiet and silent and listen after I've asked a question? They may not know why they were looking at porn. Mm -hmm. They might not understand why they kept being drawn back. Yeah. But the neurochemistry that's in place for in, in, is true for all human beings. And so they're getting that dopamine hit. They're feeling things that they've never felt before. They, they're seeing things they haven't probably ever seen before. And so we need to be careful. I, I honestly encourage the front end of this, not waiting for your child to be exposed, but being on the front end. And there's two great, there's a book called um, Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. That's the original. And then there's a Good Pictures, Bad Pictures Junior. And it's a read-along book. And you said, how early? I get this question all the time. <laughs> this book is actually set up for four to seven-year-olds. Wow. Four to seven. Because as soon as your child knows, knows where their bathing suit area is, they need to understand, or is old enough to understand where their bathing suit area is, they need yeah. to know where their bathing suit area is. Yeah. Because they need to know that they can say no to an adult. 
they need to be able to say hey or or a sibling or someone else their age that says hey i want to see your bathing suit area well they now they know where that is and they can say no and know that they always come to tell mom and dad so here's what the good pictures bad pictures junior books does it takes your kid on a little picture journey uh few words lots of pictures and they are seeing pictures that we take pictures of our pets and their family and when we go on vacation we take pictures and when we go to the beach we wear our bathing suits right because mm -hmm. our bathing suit area is meant to be private so now i now they know where their bathing suit area is because they see a picture of kids playing in the sand and uh and if you see an image or a video of someone not wearing their bathing not having their bathing suit area covered that's pornography yeah. we get rooted out oh don't say the word pornography because then they'll they'll go looking for it every child is curious naturally and when we what we want to do is help them navigate this period through their lives so that they can help us protect their innocence we're not removing their innocence we're removing their ignorance so they can help us protect their innocence I like that distinction a lot, you know, removing the ignorance to protect the innocence. It's not just a matter of we're going to throw away their innocence for the sake of, you know, their knowledge and so they know what's right and what's wrong. It's an idea of protecting it through providing knowledge. And it totally works. So let me give you an example. I was speaking at a conference in Florida again. <laughs> <laughs> Big Florida guy. <laughs> I must love it. Um, so I had a, I live in Michigan, so I've got to escape now and again. Uh, but I had this parent come, um, mom was just coming running to the table. I mean, she was booking. <laughs> it was like, oh, she either really, uh, something's going on here. And uh, she says, hey, I attended your seminar last year. This is exactly what I did. I installed Covenant Eyes on all my devices. I began using the Good Pictures, Bad Pictures books with my kids. And my son was just exposed to pornography. And I thought, Oh, she's gonna be really mad. And he goes, no, 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 you don't understand. You see, my seven-year-old was at my neighbor's house and their seven-year-old boy had just gotten a, an iPad for his birthday. And he's gone from, I don't know anything to hardcore porn. And he takes that, that iPad and he thrusts it in my son's face and says, look what I found. And the boy who's been trained with the Good Pictures, Bad Pictures book and having the conversations with mom and dad and seeing the Covenant Eyes reports, seeing it modeled, right, says, no, that's pornography. And he turns, runs, and tells, just oh. like the book says. It that's incredible. Turn, run, and tell. Turn, and run, yeah. and tell. That's what happens when you see people without their bathing suit area covered. Wow. That, that is powerful. Well, even more powerful, after they let the other parents know what happened, they're flabbergasted. They do a little more investigation and discover their son has exposed seven, eight, nine, and 11-year-olds throughout the entire neighborhood. The only child who said anything was the one child who'd been trained. Yeah. We teach our kids to help us protect their innocence. Yeah. And in turn, that kid's actually protecting everyone else's innocence by having that conversation with the parent. Yeah. And that parent can go in and have conversations with the rest of the parents in the neighborhood and it can begin those conversations of healing. They, they have a, a doing the, this kind of training really helps a child understand it for themselves. Mm -hmm in a very fundamental way that they don't get when we say, now listen, if you see something on the internet that makes you feel uncomfortable or scared, you just let us know, okay? Yeah. They don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And so when the pornography shows up, their neurochemistry goes off. They have, don't have a prefrontal cortex that doesn't develop until they're in their mid-20s. And so mm -hmm. they, that decision-making part of the brain isn't quite equipped and they don't know exactly what to do. Now, they might get scared and come and tell you, or they might just keep it a secret. And that's yeah. lovely. And that's what typically happens. I had an eight year, I, the number of phones that I've collected in my house when they'd come visit my, my home, visit my kids at eight and 10 years old that had pornography on them because I had a basket at the front door. And I remember <laughs> a 10 year old boy coming to my, there and I said, Oh, that's a cool device. What you got? And I, before he knows it, he's, I've got it in my hands and, and I flip open the screen. And the first thing he says at 10 years old, um, my brother's been home from the Navy and I've always been doing my device. And it's covered in hardcore porn. Yeah. And I said, listen, I want you to know that um, I'm, I am going to keep your device here and uh, you're, you're spending the night. And I just want you to know that, that don't worry about this. Come yeah. have a good time. 
Uh, we'll talk to your mom, your dad about this, but we, I won't have you do that alone. I'll be yeah. with you, okay? Yeah. This is not who you want to be as a Christian, right? Yeah. No, no, I don't. But, you know, he's not, at 10 years old, what exactly sexually is going to happen for him? Yeah. But he's already imprisoned by it. Yep. And we don't think of eight-year-olds and 10-year-olds being sexual, but they're watching pornography. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. a reality that we have to face. Um, and, and, and now you're talking to adults, Michael, who are going, how did I get stuck? You've been stuck for a long time. Yeah, it's not a now issue. It's an issue of the past that is still flooding into today. And I think that's the, just to sum up this entire podcast into one is just self-knowledge, understanding the roots, and also just being okay, allowing people in, allowing those conversations to have. And again, like you said, it, I think you said at some point, it, was just, it increases the amount of empathy you can have. It increases your confidence. It allows you to deepen your relationships with others. So honestly, I don't have any other questions for you, but this has I'll been... One thing. Yes, I'm excited. <laughs> you might, uh, your listener might be saying, well, people in my church just say I need to have more self-discipline. Uh, that you just need to, to read your Bible more. Or what you need is to find safe processes and safe community. And, and I encourage you to begin your journey at covenanteyes.com. Get those resources. Learn what you don't know. Uh, get involved with, a, with one of the community groups that I told you about. You need a safe place and a safe process to find real healing. Couldn't have said it better myself. And for those of you who are, are interested, here at The Catch, we are an affiliate of um, Covenant Eyes. So if you are interested in checking out, you are interested in showing up, there is a link going to be in the podcast description where you can get a 30-day free trial of Covenant Eyes. I've spent a lot of time on their website. I have a lot of friends of mine whose lives have been completely transformed by their software. So I definitely encourage that you check it out. Even if you hey, don't I sign up, I, check out the resources, the, the readings, the emails, all of these things, they can slowly transform and change your life. Yeah, and use that link on your, use the link on Michael's site because you don't get that at Covenant Eyes. You don't, so if you come directly <laughs> to Covenant Eyes, you don't get 30 days free. So use that link. Yep, please. You know, I would, I would appreciate that as well. Um, but honestly, from everyone here at The Catch, Sam, thank you so much for joining us. I couldn't be more appreciative of your time. I know we went a little bit over, so I, I will thank you for being patient with me and all my questions. Uh, you know, everyone else, again, take advantage of these resources. Sam has provided books, websites, readings, anything that you could ever imagine, uh, whatever you feel called to. I just encourage you to give it all a try and see what healing can actually come about through this. Uh, but again, as always, uh, we appreciate you guys listening here at The Catch. You know, I usually request for prayers for The Catch, the podcast, myself. In lieu of that, I'm going to ask that you guys pray for Sam, his family, as well as the entire Covenant Eyes family and their mission. I know that they will definitely appreciate that, and hopefully it'll go far for them as well. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. that so much. Of course. Well, everyone, we will talk to you guys next time. See you later. <laughs>